Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Behind the Line podcast, where we discuss all things related to the Super Retriever series. Hey, everybody, I'm your host, David Hamilton, and our guest today is Luke Coor, fresh off a recent win up in Minnesota. Before we get started here with Luke, though, we want to take a quick moment to say a thank you to our sponsor, Yukonuba. The Super Retriever Series Crown Championship and this episode of the Behind the Line podcast are brought to you by Yukonuba, the leader in premium nutrition for sporting and working dogs. Yukonuba uses the word premium to describe their dog food, and that word, if you look it up in the dictionary, also means superior or elite, and I think that'd also be a great word used to describe our guest today, Handler Luke Coor. You have been uh, having a superior or elite or premium, whichever uh, word there you want to use to describe your recent performance in the Super Retriever Series here in the last couple of years. And so, uh, Luke, we are super excited to have you here on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, David. So let's uh, let's get started, and uh, we'll take it all the way back. I know that uh, you're a guy in your your mid to late twenties, but let's take it back. You know, approximately that same amount of time. Uh, I understand that you have. I know a lot of people say, "Oh, I've been around dogs my whole life." You've literally been around dogs your whole life, as I understand it. Your dad even took you out in a baby backpack when when he was working his pointers. And uh, just tell us, you know, your earliest memory of being around dogs or or dog training or anything like that. Well, yeah, you're right. I mean, since before I could remember, we've been around dogs. My dad was an avid upland hunter. And um, when I got, I don't know, probably eight or nine years old, he started training English pointers for field trials as well as German shorthairs for hunting. And so I was pretty much with him in the field every time he was out there training. We worked to train those dogs for the upland field trials. And then um, I worked some puppies with them and then traveled with them to the trials that he went to. And I understand at some point you kind of got involved with it. So how'd, how'd that start? I mean, I know your dad helped you get started, but what kind of dogs did you train his dogs initially? And 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 why did you get that itch to also kind of follow in your dad's footsteps and start training these dogs? 
Um, well, he kind of, I think he kind of saw my passion for it being, you know, every day when I came home from school, I wanted to go work dogs with my dad and go out to the field. And so one day he got a puppy and uh, said, you know, we're going to train this one together and you get to run it in the trials and all that kind of stuff. And it was a English pointer named Doc. And I ran him in the puppy trials. I'm sure it was called Derby Stakes for the Uplands back then, but I was so young. I really didn't, didn't care what it was called. I was just there to compete. And uh, we did well in the puppy stuff and the young dog stuff. And then when the dog got to the all-age level, uh, my dad actually took him over and started running him in the horseback trials. And I think he was a runner-up national champion with that dog one year. Wow. What did you learn from that experience and specifically from from training that dog? Um, Just how to be patient and work with an animal and how to read their behavior and kind of form their instincts and, you know, have the um, – really just have the patience and the desire to work in the field and, and uh, see what the dogs can do and be able to enjoy the outdoors. Is it fair to say that your dad was your mentor and, and you wouldn't be where you are today without him? Oh, 100%, 100%. He was, you know, he enjoyed it and he had us around it from the time we were babies to where when um, it came around time where I was old enough to do things, you know, the what I wanted to do everything that my dad did and he was working dogs and I was he was passionate about it, and you know, passion breeds passion, and I kind of just followed along. Fast forward a little bit to high school, you get into waterfowl hunting, and your dad gets a yellow lab named Bell. Was that your first experience training a, a lab? And and tell us about her and those experiences as well. Yeah, that was well. We had when we were going, um, when we were upland hunting, we would go. My dad had a friend that had a black lab named oh, I can't remember her name. I want to say her name was Pepper. Um, and we would go duck hunting with her and just kind of jump tanks and, and hunt a little bit and not really know it's just kind of something to do in between quail hunts. Um, and then when we got in high school, we got pretty hardcore into the waterfowl hunting, you know, we got the decoys and all that stuff and went hunting, traveled places. And my dad got bell cause he wanted a dog that knew hand signals and stuff like that. So, you know, watching her run a blind and retrieve multiple birds for the first time in the field was like, Oh man, this, I could get into this. Did your dad do most of Bell's training or did you, or did y'all take her to a professional trainer? How, how did Bell get trained and, and, and then how much input did you have on that continuing that training? Or did you just use her as, as a hunting dog and your dad did all the training? Um, we, we got her and she was a, what we, I would call, you know, nowadays probably call a started dog. She was right. at the senior level. Um, and my dad continued her training after he got her just to, you know, get her better and better and keep her progressing. And then, once I uh, kind of fast forward again, once I got Colt and started running hunt tests, I ended up running Bell and getting her senior title on her just for fun, um, just to have another dog to run. And my dad, you know, I was involved in it, so my dad wanted to be involved in any way he could. So he came out and watched me run hunt tests and let me run his dog, so I had another dog to run. Uh, you mentioned Colt. Let's let's talk about him. Uh, why did you get Colt? When did you get Colt? How old were you? And, and uh, you know, just tell us about that relationship. Uh, my freshman year at Blinn, me and my best friend Dylan, we were we went dove hunting and we didn't have a dog. We were hunting in a Milo field and we shot a, quite a bit of birds, but we couldn't find half of them. And that we were sitting in the field right then and there, and I was like, you know what? I'm buying a lab. I'm gonna go find a puppy and I'm gonna train it to hunt. And I didn't really know what hunt tests were or field trials or anything like that. You know, I, as far as I knew, the only dogs that could run trials were coonhounds and upland dogs, and. uh so I got Colt, um, got him from the guy that we actually got Bell from, but I got him as a puppy and started working with him. And, you know, he's kind of the one that, you know, put me all into all this. I went to my first junior hunt test with them 
and met Rody there. And, uh, you know, Rody kind of saw that I had the itch and offered me to come train with him. And, you know, me and Colt were students together under Rody. And, uh, you know, Rody was like, you know, as far as your um, your dog will go, you know, we'll keep working as long as you want to work with it. And, you know, Rody kind of took me under his wing with Colt and we ended up, you know, getting him to the SRS champion, Master National Hall of Fame level. Yeah. So when you first got in with, with Rody, were you more of a client of his or, or is that the point when you started working for him? How did that relationship kind of evolve? Um, it, it started out as I think he, you know, saw me as a potential student. Um, he kind of saw me at the hunt test. I, I noticed him and driving around in his big rig. And my dad, when he was running the field trials, he was the kind of guy that had a bunch of dogs. I mean, my dad had 30 pointers to that. He was training and running at a time. And so when I saw Rody with his trailer, I just thought, you know, he was another amateur that, like my dad, that just had a bunch of dogs and was running. So I was like, you know, I'm going to follow this guy and see what he does. And then I learned that, you know, that was actually what he did for a living. And I was like, oh, wow, that's really cool. And he was like, you know, you're only an hour away from us if you want to come throw birds. And, you know, we'll show you how to train your dog and advance him further into these other levels. And then uh, they went on a spring break vacation and they offered me to throw birds for some of their trainers while they were gone. And then when it came summertime, they wrote, he said, hey, we got a camper if you want to come stay on our property and live in the camper and learn how to train dogs and, and you know, see if this is what you really want to do. And so, you know, I guess probably four months after meeting him, um, you know, he offered me a job to train and throw birds and um, took me under his wing and showed me their program and, you know, everything. Is that really when you feel like, excuse me, is that really when you feel like Colt kind of got to be Colt, uh, essentially? Because I know you met Rody back in 2014 and you you ran Colt's first master hunt test in 2014 and, and put a master hunter title on Colt in spring of 2015. So is that really when Colt came into his own because of the work you were doing and the advice and wisdom that, that Rody was passing along to you as well? Yes, for sure. I mean, Colt was naturally, Colt's one of those dogs who's very naturally talented and he was very willing to work with me and some of the things that I was doing that, you know, I thought I invented and was probably doing wrong. And Rody helped me kind of patch some of the holes we had in training and clean things up and, you know, have him a lot more of a nicer handling dog and a cleaner look to him and, you know, sit on the whistle better and respond better, clean up his obedience and all that kind of stuff. So he kind of broke it down for me and showed me why the basics are important and taking me through step by step. And, um, you know, thankfully I had a dog that was willing to want to work as much as I wanted to work. And, you know, he got his master title at two years old. Um, You know, Rody kind of gave me the motivation of, uh, you know, whatever, whenever you get your dog to that level, you will, you know, that's when we'll hand, start handing you client dogs at that level. Um, and so Colt got to the master title of within a year of me being there. And so then Rody kind of eased me in and handling some of the dogs that he trained and kind of faded into that. And, you know, that's where we kind of, what was that journey like to go from, you know, you're working for him, you're, you're kind of testing it out. Like you said, initially you're, you're sitting there thinking, okay, you know, he gave you an opportunity. Is this something you may want to do? You go there, you throw uh, birds for him, you, you help him out a little bit. Then he slowly starts to give you client dogs. Just talk us through that journey of, of how you kind of joined the team and went from from learning under him to being your own, you know, uh, professional trainer working for him, but but working with dogs by yourself and how you kind of get that that confidence from him of, okay, now I can move him along in the process. Um, you know, growing up, my dad was always our coach. You know, he was he always, you know, taught us to raise us to be a coachable person, you know, every You'll always be successful in life if you have the passion to drive and the ability to be coachable. Um, you know, and, and Rody right off the bat was very willing to 
be my coach and put in the the hours and, you know, work with me hand in hand. And so for me, it was kind of, I've got the drive to do this. This guy has the desire to teach me. I'm going to try to pull every bit of education from him as I can. And, you know, Rody kind of gave me the offer of as far as you want to go working here, you know, you can, you know, there's no, we're not, there's no holding back as long as you're, you put the work into it and you're willing to, to work for it, then, you know, we'll keep going. And so I kind of, you know, it, it was, it made me feel good to get an offer like that. You know, I didn't want to let anybody down and the effort that Rody put into it and the effort that I was putting into it. Um, we kind of, you know, like I said, I got, came in at the right time and he took me under his wing and showed me everything from dawn to dark. He was working with me from the basics levels. You know, Kristen was working with me at the basic level and Rody was working with me from the, the gun dogs up to the master hunters, you know, and so being a part of that journey and, you know, having the, being able to be a part of a team that had just as much pride as teaching you as they did in, in their work and their dogs was pretty cool. Working with Colt, you passed the 2016 and 2017 Master National, but 2016 was also the year you first got into the Super Retriever Series. Uh, Rody got you into that, and I know your first event was in 2016, and you, you got a third place there with Indy. So uh, just tell us your your first experience with the Super Retriever Series, how much knowledge you had about it before you competed, and, and did it live up to those expectations, and what was that first event like for you? Um, I really didn't have a whole lot of you know knowledge on it. I had kind of watched it on TV when I was a kid with my dad, but I didn't know what it was at the time. Um, and then Rody had talked about it a little bit from him being on it back in the day. And I, you know, looked up on YouTube and seen Rody running his dog Jazz and Buzz and Ike in, in it back in the day. And uh, he was kind of like, hey, we're going to host an SRS event. You know, if you want to run it, you're more than welcome. You can run some of the dogs that I've been training. You can run Colt. I was like, awesome. You know, I'm, I'm game for that. And um, he let me run a dog named Indy. And uh, Indy ended up coming in third place. And it was kind of, it was a, you know, a lucky handler with a good dog. You know, he kind of, he did most of the work for me. And, you know, we came out with a third place and qualified for the crown championship. And um, his owners, Randy Morris and Lori Knight, were like, hey, we're qualified. Let's go. And so I went to my first crown. And right then and there, I was like, oh, man, this is, this is the big show. This is where I want to be. I'm hooked now. Yeah. I mean, what's that experience like? You, you, It's your first year in it and you qualify for the crown and you're out there against, you know, some of the top pros in the business. Uh, people out there who have been doing this at, at that point in time, many of those competitors had maybe been competing as long as you had been alive. So any intimidation or did you just go out there and say, you know, I'm playing with house money. I'm just glad to be here. I just want to learn. Or, or I know you have that competitiveness in you and that drive, but, but what was your kind of motivation and thoughts going into that first crown? Um, I wouldn't really necessarily say I was kind of intimidated. I was more going into it, ready to learn. Um, I knew I was going to be around the best of the best and I was going to watch them, everything they did on the line and kind of figure out how they played this game and how they did it to this level. Um, and, you know, we were going there to give it our best shot. And, you know, we, you know, Indy was young and I was young, but we felt like we had a solid chance, you know, given that we competed against a lot of the dogs that were going to be there and came over the third place, you know. So, you know, we knew on our best day that we had an opportunity to uh, to play. So, you know, we went there and gave it a shot. But, you know, we went there with the mindset knowing that it's going to be a learning experience. Um, you know, we may come out and do great. We may not. Um, but the best that I think I could do was, you know, kind of, ask questions and you know a lot of the handlers in the SRS game are very open you know a lot of the you know if you go there for your first time and you ask questions a lot of these guys will help you out with everything they can 
And so that's exactly what I did. You know, I followed around Clark and Steven and Lyle and Lee and all those guys and asked them questions and they helped me out and they answered questions and taught me how to play this game. You know, so I learned from Rody, but as well as I learned from all these other guys that handle, you know, in the handling the, in these events, you know, just by being there. Anything in particular that one of those guys passed along to you that was that was super beneficial? I would say I would say Clark, um, you know, kind of my first year. He was the one with me at the first event I ran and stuff, and he kind of showed me how to actually play the game. It's not about just picking up birds um, like it is in a hunt test. You know, there's a scoring system to it, and, you know, he said sometimes you, you may you may think that your dog's going to get it, but the best thing you can do is handle, or you may think that you need to handle, and the best thing to do is let your dog hunt. You know, he kind of showed me how to actually play the game rather than just send the dog and hope for the best. Well, certainly something that he told you or that someone else told you or that you learned on your own paid off because you you qualify for the crown again in 2017. Uh, was that experience different than the one in, in 2016 because you had already been to the crown, you'd already been on that big stage and you already knew what to expect? Um, Yeah, it was a little bit more different. You know, we we came in there with a little bit more fire, you know, you know, after we qualified the first year and felt like we kind of got lucky and the second year we qualified again. And so we felt like we had a legitimate shot and we, you know, we deserved to be there. And so, you know, we were, we were there to, we were there to win. We were, you know, every time I go to, every time I go to an event, I'm there to learn, but you know, we were there to win and do our best and, and see what we could do. How's your relationship with Indy evolved over the years? Cause I mean, you said a few moments ago when you first started uh, competing with Indy, you said it was an experienced dog with a, with a not so experienced handler, but over the years you've gotten a lot more experience and the two of you have had a lot of success together. So, you know, how is that specific relationship? How did it grow over 2016, 2017, 2018? Um, you know, me and Ro me and uh, Indy are kind of buddies. You know, Rody did all of uh, Indy's training. Kristen and Rody did all of Indy's training. Rody put a master title on him and then once we qualified for the crown, his owners were kind of like, "Hey, we want to we want to play this Super Retriever Series game." And Rody was like, "Well, you know, Luke, if you're if you're game for it and you want to chase it, let's chase it." And so I got the opportunity to run him and, you know, me and him just kind of became best friends. You know, I think he kind of knew that I was learning. So he was a little bit more, you know, willing to let me make a mistake. And I was a little bit more willing to let him make a mistake. So, you know, we kind of balanced out and we've become best friends. And it's, you know, it's been a really cool relationship and a cool bond that we have to play these, play these and be able to be consistent on all different types of venues, you know, from the HRC style to the field trial style stuff. And you and Indy won the 2018 and 2019 Yukonuba team of the year. So that's, that's gotta be something that you're, you're pretty proud of that the two of you were able to to win that award, not just once, but back to back years. Can you tell us uh, just a little bit of the, the pride you have in winning that award? Um, yeah, that was a very cool experience, you know, being, having that bond, um, with him, you know, shows that we can, he consistently works for me. I consistently work for him. So that relationship definitely helps you in being consistent. Um, but more so, you know, we have, uh, best retrievers is more than just roadie Kristen and myself. We have quite the staff and, you know, quite the team here. So, you know, I was given the opportunities to go to these events and chase it. And the biggest thing and being successful is when you get to the line, being able to be kind of focused on what you're doing. And so me having the team that I have allows me to just focus on what I'm doing at the line. Don't have to worry about what's going on back home or anything like that. You know, you're always worried about what's going on. But, you know, having the confidence that, you know, you have a bunch of people that have your back helps you every time you step up to that line. 
How many uh, people are do you have at Best Retrievers working there, and how many dogs are y'all working with at any given time? If you can just, I mean, uh, if you don't have specific numbers, that's fine. But just to give us a general overview of like the whole operation there, what's it like in terms of people? And then it's your at your highest capacity when people aren't taking their dogs hunting, but they're there for training. Like you know, what in your highest capacity months of the year, how many dogs are y'all training at any given time? Uh, we have about fifteen employees total, um, and then we have eight full time trainers. And we, we're training anywhere from 80 to 100 dogs. And how many of those are you training at any given time? Um, just depending on the year and what we're doing, you know, but 15 to 20. As a trainer who has to work with 15 to 20 dogs, has to get them all, all prepared, but dogs like humans all have different personalities. How do you determine, is it just the spending time with them or, you know, taking them out? But, but how do you determine what works to motivate different dogs? Um, you know, Kristen has this uh, deal that we use. It's called the the five love languages. You know, I know many people have heard about it on relationships and for people and stuff like that. But she's kind of instilled in all of us that every time you you know get with a dog, you kind of find their love languages. What helps them work the best? You establish those love languages with the dogs so you can communicate on what keeps that dog learning the best and happy and enjoys their environment and stuff like that. So you know, our first step in getting a dog from each other or from somebody else or as a puppy is. You know, we kind of establish those love languages of that dog and see what works best with them and kind of continue forward from there. Some of the dogs you've competed with uh, in the Super Retriever Series, you've already mentioned Indy. There's also Finn and Bang and Goose. How different are they in terms of, of personalities and the way you have to handle those dogs, not only in, in training, but in like competition, like Super Retriever Series? Um. Honestly, all, all four of those that you've mentioned are all different in their own way. Um, Indian Goose are a little bit similar. You know, they're, they're more affectionate dogs, and they're there to make you happy. And they, they just want to be your friend and be by your side, and they're game for anything. Um, Finn's, Finn's what we call a crackhead. He's crazy. All, he wants the birds, and he wants to get as many as he can, as fast as he can. He doesn't really care what it takes to get there. Um, so for him, it's he's more of a what you would consider a gift giving dog. You know, for him is the reward is the actual retrieve. Um, Bang, when he was when he first started, he was kind of the crazier, high drive dog. But he started to kind of bond with me and become more relational, like Indy, and want to work with me and um, more of a pleaser so than a do it yourself kind of guy. Awesome. We're talking to Luke Core here on the Behind the Line podcast, and I uh, just want to take a quick minute again to thank our sponsor. Uh, you know, you can sporting dogs, give us everything we ask for and then some, so their nutrition should do the same for them. Uh, you can find out more information about you at their website, you or follow them on Facebook and Instagram with their username. You sporting dog. Luke, we just mentioned, uh, four of the dogs that you've been training, uh, over the past few years, but, uh, last year in the 2019 crown, you had eight dogs qualify. Um, so I guess my first question around that is on a weekend like that, where you have eight dogs competing, does your mentality change from if you have one dog competing or do you go into it th th with the same approach? Um, I mean, you go into it with the same approach. Every dog you take to the line, you're given 110% focus. Um, so you're not, even when, when you have one dog, you know, you're stepping up there to win with that one dog. And when you have eight dogs, you're stepping up there to win with each and every dog, you know, if you're, if you have, no matter how many dogs you have, your goal is to win. If you have one, your goal is to get first. If you're, if you have eight, your goal is to get first through eighth. 
You know, you're trying to give every dog their best opportunity and your best opportunity to be successful. Obviously, you're not trying to, to go up there and, and run a dog to lose. But if a dog goes up there and doesn't do something well, does that play to your advantage where you're like, OK, I sent him this way this time. The next dog I need to send. Unfortunately, you know, that that may have eliminated dog A from the competition, but I can learn from what I did with dog A and send dog B on a, on a different path. Yeah, yeah. When you know when you have what we call having multiple bullets in your gun, you know, it helps you read the test and figure out where the dogs are smelling the birds or how the terrain's pushing them off or, you know, how to put your dog in the best position to see the marks, stuff like that. Um, and so having the more bullets you have definitely helps you, you know, feel out the test m better for each of the next dog. So, you know, although if that first dog may not get as good of an opportunity as the eighth dog that you run, you're still up there giving it 110%. And, you know, use the time to watch the dogs ahead of you and figure those kind of things out as well. But yeah, having multiple dogs definitely helps you approach it differently with each and every dog. You specifically as a handler, you've had a lot of success with different dogs. Like we said, you had eight in the crown last year. So what's your secret as a handler? I mean, clearly you're doing something right if you're qualifying a lot of different dogs for the crown. Play into the dogs. Um, desires and how they they play their own way is kind of how I do things you know try not to have a cookie cutter approach to where every dog has to do it the way you want them to um you know or you kind of you kind of uh, fill into the dog's strengths and weaknesses and you you read the test on how to be successful with each dog even though it may not be their strong suit you know there's certain things that you can do as a handler and do your job to put the dog in the best position to be successful uh, some of our listeners may not know that every year for the crown championship, we always get the uh, handlers to fill out some notes about themselves and about their dogs. And it helps us when we're doing the uh, the live stream webcast or when we're doing television or even this podcast here. Uh, obviously, we know these guys and talk to them a lot, but it's always good to have them kind of put their own thoughts on paper. And I noticed in your handler notes from last year's crown, you said your three strengths as a handler would be that you're a quick thinker, your desire and your guts. Can you elaborate on each of those three? Um, you know, quick thinker, you know, it's kind of like, uh, being a, a batter when you're playing baseball, you know, when that, when that pitch is coming at you, you have very little time to figure out if it's going to be a fastball or a curveball and if you're going to swing or not. So being able to be a quick thinker and, and watch those dogs, see what they're going to do and, and watch their movements and know to think on the spot, whether you should blow a whistle or not, um, you know, is very important. Um, desire, you know, your desire helps you with your focus. You know, if you're, if you have a strong desire to win, that means you, you know, have a lot of care and passion when you're on the line. And so your focus is going to be there to give every dog their best opportunity. If you go up there and you don't have a whole lot of desire, it's going to show that you don't really care. And it's going to show in your dog's performance that you don't really care. And so the more desire you have to go up there and give it 110%, the more successful you can be. Um, and then when it comes down to guts, it's, uh, you know, you're not afraid to go big. Um, you know, you've to, uh, in order to be successful, you can't be afraid to fail. A lot of people that say they have a desire to win and also guts also say that they have an, an anxiousness. I won't call it a nervousness, but right before it's go time, they get those quick little butterflies just cause they're, you know, so excited and so amped to get up there and, and, uh, take their shot. So, uh, do you still get that nervousness or anxiousness that you got in the beginning or are you more confident now that you've been doing it for a few years and you've had some success in this game? Um, I, I still get very anxious and I still get the butterflies. I would say I've probably calmed down a little bit. You know, I don't get quite, quite as nervous, but especially at the crown and, or if you're going, when you're, when you're running the final series of these weekend events, you know, you, you get the butterflies come in and you get anxious, you get nervous. What drives you to compete? 
I mean, you've mentioned it a couple times in this interview today that you 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 have a desire to to be a competitive person to do the best that you can. Where do you think that comes from inside of you? Um, growing up, growing up, everything's always been competitive. From the time we were little, playing sports with our dad or anything like that, you know, my dad was not your typical dad that that lets your kid win to make you feel better. You know, he was going to beat you until you figured out how to beat him. You know, and he was always our coach. And every sport we played. You know, you, you were out there to be the best and not necessarily be the best to show everybody that you're better than them, but you're out there to be the best to show that you can work harder than everybody. You have that strong work work ethic. You have the desire to, once you set your mind to something, you're not going to give up. Um, it kind of instills more in you than just, uh, you know, getting a first place. Yeah, that makes sense. Absolutely. What's the future hold, meaning for the rest of this calendar year? What dogs do you think you have the best shot of competing for the crown with this year? And, and you know, what are your thoughts heading into the fall, knowing that the crown's coming up here in October? And uh, just, you know, thoughts on Super Retriever season uh, now that we're kind of ramping things back up after, you know, a few months of, of not being able to due to the pandemic. You know, every every dog we run, you know, we feel like has a, uh, a strong chance of, of winning the crown and you know, has a strong chance of winning these weekend events. If, you know, if they weren't ready for it, then we wouldn't run them. So I can't necessarily pick out one specific dog. You know, I think every, every dog that I'm running has a, has a just as equal a shot as the other to do well. Um, we've got one more um, SRS left for us on our schedule. Um, we're running the Georgia event over at Taylor Farm Kennels. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can, you know, come out and do the best we can, and get another dog qualified for the crown or get another dog titled or, you know, um, work on that team of the year stuff. You had a pretty good weekend recently in Minnesota. Tell all our listeners about that. Uh, you bang, uh, owned by Ernie D'Antoni, had himself a good weekend. You know, he kind of, he started it off strong in the big field trial series and posted a low score and then just stayed consistent from beginning to end and just stayed out in front. And uh, he had a really good trial. He didn't do anything flashy, um, but he never did anything, you know, or cause any mistakes. He's just stayed consistent and, you know, Every series as they change, you know, we had four challenging series and four different, completely different scenarios. And he showed that he was consistent in all venues and came away with the win. And now Mr. Consistent is Mr. I've qualified for the crown. <laughs> um, what about right. some of the, what about some of the younger dogs that you're training? I know obviously some of them won't, aren't ready for competition yet, but do you have any particular dogs we should keep an eye on that, you know, maybe would be a competitor in the, the 2022 or 2023 crown or we always ask people, you know, are there any some of the younger dogs that you're training that you're super excited about? Um, you know, we have some young dogs that are at the senior level and early master level. And, you know, sometimes it's a little too hard to tell right there at the beginning. But uh, I have a dog named Whiskey that I run. You know, he qualified for his first crown last year at two years old. Um, he's running the amateur division, got fifth in Bemidji right now or last weekend. Um, and he's a very, very talented dog. Um, right now he's just young and gets a little wild. Um, but once he starts to settle down and get consistent and, you know, understand the game a little bit more and, and focus on when he gets that line time, uh, he's going to be one to watch, I think. We'll definitely be watching and looking out for him. And then, of course, all the dogs that you uh, are, are competing with this year. Super excited to see all of them in the crown. Luke, before we let you go, uh, we always end our podcast with uh, the same five questions we ask everyone. It's kind of rapid fire. I ask a quick question. You just give the first answer that comes to your mind. Uh, so we'll roll with that here real quick. Number one, what's something about you that most people don't know? Um, I'd say I'd say passionate or loyal. Um, you know, I'm I uh, 
when I when I start something, I stick to it, and you know I'm very passionate in what I do. I give it 110, percent and you know I'm loyal to those who help me get there. When I say retriever trials, who's the first dog that comes to mind, and why? Uh, I'd say Jeter. Um, Jeter because you know he's one of the most accomplished, if not the most accomplished, dog in the amateur side of things. You know, and coming up from my dad, who's you know ran trials in the amateur side of things, and seeing how really and truly how much hard work it takes to train a dog to that level and have a full-time job and take care of a family and all that stuff, you know, that's kind of, uh, influential, you know, that drives me to, to work harder and, and do the best I can. Speaking of Mike Gibson's Jeter, if that dog was a human athlete, what sport would he play and why? Oof. I'd, I'd say Jeter's definitely a ball player. He's a baseball player. He's a quick thinker. He's very talented. He's got the speed, um, you know, and has that drive and focus that it takes to, to be a, you know, a baseball player. Well, he's named after one, so that's kind of appropriate. If you had to, if you had to describe yourself in one word, what would it be? Uh, passionate. Like I said earlier, you know, I'm, uh, passionate about what I do and try to do the best I can every time I'm, I'm working and every time I step to the line. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Uh, Probably, probably a bass fisherman. I told Shannon, one, uh, you know, a long time ago that um, I felt like either one of these days we were going to come along each other. If I was going to be standing on the front of a boat or standing next to a dog, you know, she's very involved in the Bass Masters, and that's kind of what I grew up thinking I wanted to do was, you know, be a professional fisherman. So um, if I wouldn't have come across the dogs, I probably would have been trying to fish. Well, I'm sure you would have had just as much success as a as a fisherman as you've had as a handler, but I can speak for all of us in the dog community. We're glad you chose this profession, and we're all super excited to, to continue to watch you uh, with your future successes here in the Super Retriever Series, and I uh, just want to thank you so much for, for joining us here today on the podcast. Luke Corey, really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. All right, have a great day. You too. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.